today's scripture portion is taken from Hebrews 2, from verse 1 to 14. Hebrews chapter 2, from verse 1 to 14. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's look to the Lord and ask him to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you that you are the Lord who speaks through your word. And we pray that you speak to our hearts. Encourage our souls. And we pray that you exalt your name and the authority of your word. Lord, Listening to a sermon, preaching the sermon is a spiritual warfare because the enemy hates this preaching. He hates our hearing of your word. And he does everything possible to distract us, to rob this word from penetrating our souls. So we pray, Lord, this morning that you destroy the works of the enemy. And we pray that you release the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And may your will be done in our lives. And we pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives and maybe not simply be the listeners but be the doers of your word and show us the glory of Christ and the power of your spirit and your word from your word in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we pray with thanksgiving amen amen I was reading a news that happened on May 25 2020 the Airbus A320 which was flying from Lahore to Karachi, was 15 nautical miles from the Jinnah International Airport. Instead of lowering the altitude, the pilot responded by saying that he was satisfied. When only 10 nautical miles were left till the airport, the plane was at an altitude of 7,000 feet instead of 3,000 feet. The air traffic controller issued a second warning to the pilot to lower the plane's altitude. However, the pilot responded again by stating that he was satisfied and he can well handle the situation. The pilot of the Pakistan International Airlines, PIA's, crashed plane ignored three warnings from the air traffic controllers about the aircraft's altitude and speed before the landing, saying he was satisfied and they would handle the situation. The Pakistan International Airlines plane crash in which 97 people were killed and two miraculously survived is one of the most catastrophic aviation disasters in the country's history. Three warnings, but this person didn't listen. Confident that he can handle the situation and he put the lives of about 100 people at stake. And they were all killed because he ignored the warnings of the station. You know, warnings are very good. We don't like it. Basically, we all want what? Appreciation, flattery, boosting. But warnings are something that we human beings do not like. But this is what we see 
in Hebrews chapter 2 from verses 1 to 4. It begins saying that, Therefore we must pay careful attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just restribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I know that when we read at first glance, it doesn't make much sense to us. But I also believe that at the end of this sermon, your eyes will be open to say how much encouragement, warning and wealth of insights that God has in store for us through this passage. The first thing that I would like to share with you, and I have titled this sermon as Dangerous Drifting. Drifting from salvation from Christ is very dangerous. And the first factor that I would like to highlight from this verse 1 is calling not to drift away from Christ. Calling not to drift away from Christ. You know, the very first word that begins in chapter 2 is therefore. And when do we use this word therefore? We use word therefore as a term of conclusion, right? You said something before and you want to conclude it and you use the word therefore. He says here, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. When the author is saying therefore is giving this is the reason why you must not drift away from the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion of whatever I said in first chapter, what did he say? In light of knowing that Christ is the ultimate revelation of God, that God spoke in the last days through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that Christ is the son of God, knowing that Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature, Knowing that Christ is the creator and the heir of all things. Knowing that Christ has made purification for sins. Knowing that Christ is exalted at the right hand of the majesty. Knowing that Christ is superior to angels. In other words, what he's telling here is, knowing the supremacy, majesty, the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am cautioning you, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard. The one thing that I like, you know, when I read this um, warning and cautioning is that the author gives reasons why they must not drift away from Christ. Blind faith is not what is encouraged in the scripture. Just don't drift away. This is the command of the Lord. No, that's not what he's telling. Yes, the Bible says that don't drift away. But he gives the reasons. And the reasons are reasonable. It's not something blind faith that we see here. And the word that he used here is we must. M-U-S-T. Which means there is no other way for you to drift away. This is the only way that you can stay on your path till the end. You must pay Closer attention. Why you must pay closer attention? Because it's a life and death issue. 
The consequences are very severe when you ignore the warning of the Lord. Much more worse than what Pakistan International Airlines are faced. Ignoring the warnings of the Most High God is the most dangerous thing. Your eternity is at stake. And the word that he used here is, therefore, we must, not, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard, lest we not drift away. The word drift is very important for us to consider. In the Greek, and I believe also in the English language, it is a nautical language. Nautical means it's a term related to sailing. It's a language of the ship or the aircraft. So what he's telling is that you should not drift away because when you see when a ship is sailing on the sea and when it is not following the proper direction of the controlling signals that they see or if they don't tie the boat to the mooring, what happens is it easily drifts away. And that is a word that we see the author is using. Make sure that you will not drift away from your Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And also, as I was studying on this word, it also implies that drifting is a slow and gradual process. It is not immediate. When the ship drifts in the sea, it drifts very slowly, sometimes even without the notice of the pilot. Gradually drifting and suddenly when they wake up and they see that they are somewhere rather than in some other direction. And that's how it happens even in the Christian life. When you drift away from the Lord Jesus Christ, when you drift away from your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not immediate. Many times unknown to yourself, you slowly, gradually, progressively drift away and you face a spiritual tragedy. C.S. Lewis, who is known as one of the great Christian apologists, he says here that, and as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? In other words, what he's telling is, it is not that when people lose their faith in Christianity, they reason, they study, they did research, and finally said that, I have done all my homework, and I want to give away. That's not how people do that. What he's telling is, even without their knowledge, they simply drift away. And some of you are sitting over here, or many of you are sitting over here, the possibility is that you are in that drifted condition. You need to really examine yourself. And I want to remind you from this passage that drifting away happens in two ways. And this we see even in the recipients of this book, the Hebrews. Drifting away happens from sound doctrine. And also, drifting away happens from sound devotion. Sound doctrine and sound devotion are the two ways that people can drift away from. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We see that in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, how the church in Ephesus drifted away. And this is what the Lord has spoken to the church in Ephesus. But I have this against you. They were very sound in doctrine. 
And he said that you are very good in identifying false teachings. You are enduring suffering. But one thing I have against you, you have abandoned the love you had first. In other words, he's telling that you are drifted away from your first love. There are two possibilities. Some people drift away from sound doctrine. Some people drift away from sound devotion. And some people drift away from both the sound doctrine and also from sound devotion. And that's what we say the problem in this Hebrews. Why do people drift away? Ultimately, it is a condition of the heart. You need to understand that your condition of the heart determines which direction you take. Situations, people, or whatever you go through only influences the condition of the heart. But it doesn't cause the condition of the heart. The problem with today's psychology is that blame it over the brain. Blame it over the people. Blame it over the situation. Blame it over everyone. But you be safe. And this is nothing but the Adamic nature that we see from the beginning. Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And another they were blaming. But no one took the responsibility that I am the problem. I remember G.K. Chesterton who was a great journalist. I wish many of us would be like him. And one day he read in the newspaper saying, asking the question, what is the biggest problem in the society? G.K. Chesterton replied in one word, I am. I am the problem of the society. You know, when people realize that I am the problem, my heart is the problem, you would not understand how much things would change. Yesterday I was speaking to a brother and he was going through a very great difficulty since a couple of weeks and uh, his emotional turmoil was terrible and he was in a very, very deep, distressful situation and he was telling me, Anna, when I started to repent and wept before the Lord, stop blaming others, took responsibility that I am the problem and I started to repent of every sin. And he said that my life underwent a tremendous breakthrough. I saw revival in my life. I saw the spirit of God working in my life. I saw that my life is not the same. And I am really enjoying now when I started to repent. I wish many of us would realize. But that being the core thing. Why do people drift away? Why people drifted away in the book of Hebrews? The first thing that I would like to give you. The three possibilities that people drift away. The first thing is that false doctrines. And it is one of the most important reasons that you and I be rooted in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the doctrine of the Holy Scripture. And these people were drifting away slowly from their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews was reminding them, cautioning them, be careful because you people are not rooted in the person Lord Jesus Christ. You know, these days we are living in a generation where people want goosebump sermons. People want emotionally excitement messages. And if you tell them, read systematic theology, biblical doctrines, brother, there is no revival. It's very boring. People, I'm telling you that no one becomes a doctor. I often tell that no one becomes a doctor. We have two doctors here, right? And they didn't go to the medical college thinking, today I will be excited emotionally and I will experience revival. 
They don't go there. They go and study hard. The physical anatomy. They have to do study on what medicine to put. It is mind boggling. It is not very stimulating emotionally. But you know one thing? It saves them and saves the lives of many people. If you read doctrine, you may find at times boring. You may find at times very difficult. But it does a lot of good to your soul and to the souls of many if you give yourself to study the doctrines. Or else, you know, Paul also cautions in 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4, when people are not rooted. Listen carefully what he explains over here. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived thee by the cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. These words are not written to unbelievers, but to the church. He's telling that the devil can lead you astray, drift you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. How gullible these people were. When we preach sound doctrine, you don't cling unto it. But when somebody preaches false doctrine, you easily put, out, put on that. You easily drift away from what you have learned and run after other things. And it's a very, very dangerous thing to do. I want to caution you, brothers and sisters, be careful what you listen on YouTube. Be careful the articles that you read on the internet. Be careful. Don't think that every person who holds the Bible is a Bible teacher and every person who preaches Jesus is from the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many, many false doctrines and false preachers out there from which we need to be careful about or else we will easily drift away by their wiles. The second reason why people drift away from their faith and their condition in the Lord Jesus Christ is this. And this is what we see in the book of Hebrews, and that is suffering. Suffering, pain is something people can easily drift away. And these people, because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, their lives became complicated. <laughs> I, I see that. What a different generation that we are living in. We live in a generation that says, you believe in Christ, what will, ha what will happen? He will get blessings. You will get a job. You will get a promotion. Your health will be good. And you will become mother and you will have children and everything will go well. Written by a celebrity pastor of Hyderabad. But here in the first century, brothers and sisters, if you and I lived in the first century, I really wonder how many of us would claim to be Christians. Because to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in the first century was... To become a martyr. To die for your faith. And that's the reason why, one of the reasons they couldn't face is rejection, persecution and suffering. And they were drifting away. They completely did not drift away, but they were slowly going away. And he was cautioning them, it is worth suffering for Jesus. We see that Jesus also affirming what Hebrews was saying in Mark chapter 4, 16 to 17. The rocky soil. And what is the state of the rocky soil? And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. 
The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Why do these people drift away? Because of pain and suffering. And I am telling you, my dear brothers and sisters, Christian life is hard life. Generally, life itself is hard. Whether you are a Christian or not, life on earth is hard. It's not that the other people are living a comfortable life. The whole world is in trouble and groaning. The Bible says, and as we live in the world, life is hard. Your life is hard. And let me tell you that. If life generally is hard, Christian life is harder. And if you think that your life is so smoothly sailing, maybe you need to examine where you are. <laughs> Whether you are following Christ or not. Life is hard. Bear it. Bear it. Face it. Be firm in it. But don't drift away because of the pain you go through. And you know what is the other thing that people don't realize? That people can also drift away because of this. Not only because of false doctrines, not only because of suffering, many today are drifted away by this third factor about which they are not aware of. You know what is that? Pleasures. That is not the condition of the Hebrews here. But the condition of the present world is that so many have drifted away from their faith in the Lord Jesus or drifting progressively because of pleasures, because of comforts, because of allurements of the world. The state of the thorny soil that Jesus said here in Luke chapter 18 verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Drifting away, we see that in Luke 8, 14. Due to pleasure. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you. Many times, at least when you face suffering, there is a possibility for us to mature. But too much comforts and pleasures and a smooth life is a dangerous thing. And I think that it is good for us to pay, face pain once in a while because it reminds us that do not set your heart on the pleasures. Do not set your heart on the comforts. Because much worse than pain, it is the pleasures that can rob people away from their faith and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing is that when you are facing pleasures, now hear this carefully, which is a very interesting thing. You keep thanking the Lord for all the pleasures and comforts while you are drifting away from Him because of the pleasures that you are having. Because who gives the pleasures? We think that, oh, God has given me this. God is giving me promotion after promotion. God is multiplying my salary more and more. God is giving me more and more positions without realizing that how much you are chasing them, neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And thanking the Lord for promoting you from earthly glory to another earthly glory. While your heart is drifting away from your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a very dangerous drifting that we see. So the context of the Hebrews is that they were drifting away because of false doctrines and suffering. And the encouragement that the author of Hebrews is giving here is there will be persecution. There is rejection. There is suffering. There are temptations. There are worldly allurements. But Christ is worth above all the afflictions and 
evil pleasures. What he's telling is one thing, cling to Christ. You know, as the song says, my heart is prone to wander. Every day our heart is prone to wander. There are enemies of our soul. And the Bible says, don't drift away, cling to Christ. There is one thing that I would like to tell you, brothers and sisters. We either drift away or we progress. We cannot be still stand. Many of us want to play the game of neutrality. Average, mediocre Christian. No, I'm not so passionate. And at the same time, I'm not so lukewarm. So they think that they can be a neutral Christian or an average Christian. No, you cannot be a neutral Christian or an average Christian. Such Christianity is unheard in the New Testament. Either you burn or die or rest and perish. But there is no such thing as you living a neutral Christian life. If you are not progressing, listen to this brothers and sisters. If you are not progressing, you are for sure digressing. If you are not striving to go forward, you are straying away. If you are not persisting, you are deviating. You must either fight or you are losing the battle. But you cannot say that I'm not fighting, I'm not losing, I'm on the safe side. No, that is not what Christianity is. And such a notion is not left for us in the Holy Bible. You know what is the worst thing as we think about the drifting here? The worst thing is to drift away and justify our drifting. That is the worst thing actually. We drift away and we justify. D.A. Carson, one of the great scholars of our time, sheds very good light on this. Listen to this, what he says. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. The worst thing in your life is to slowly and progressively drift away and yet not know that you are drifting away and yet worse, to justify your drifting. It is very good for us to have the warnings for us. So what is the antidote that the author is giving here? How can we be safe from drifting away? How can we keep our hearts stable? What is the place? And how we can be Steadfast, there is only one solution that the author of Hebrews is giving here using the nautical word. You know, do you hear about the word? Even I didn't know that. The word called mooring. You know what is a mooring? Mooring is a place where you tie a boat unto. And if you come to the shore and if you don't tie the boat to, boat to the mooring, it will drift away. And the only way that you can keep your ship or boat stable is to tie it to a mooring. Sometimes people put a heavy, huge ball mooring so that they can tie the boat unto it. Let me tell you one thing, my dear brothers and sisters. The only way that you can keep yourself away from drifting away, there are no easy shortcuts and there are no better new fad methods that have come here. 
The only way is one thing. You know what is that? Christ is our mooring. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is telling here. He's telling here that be careful. Therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard. What is it that these people have heard? I explained to you that these people have heard about Christ. They have heard about his greatness. They have heard about, the, about his majesty. They have heard about his atonement on the cross. They have heard about his exaltation. They have heard about his supremacy. What he's telling is don't drift away from Christ. He alone can persevere you. He alone can hold you. And he alone can sustain you safely till the end. And the author of Hebrews in saying, therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard. In saying that, what he is telling to the recipients is that if you don't pay careful attention to what you have heard, you will drift away. You will backslide. And your faith will be shipwrecked. And what we need to understand here is that it is only by focusing on the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, both in doctrine and devotion, that we will keep ourselves drifting away. And that is exactly what the author of Hebrews, again, he was telling at the end of his letter. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. He says here that, let us run with endurance. You know what is endurance? Don't give up. Persevere. Keep moving ahead. Don't turn away. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do you run with endurance? The author of Hebrews says in the participle that he is using here, what is he telling? He is telling that you run with endurance looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The only way that you can keep yourself safe is to constantly examine ourselves. Is my heart fully devoted to Christ? Is Christ the one that I am seeking? You know, for pastors like us, for preachers like us, even ministry can be a powerful tool to drift away. And how many times, you know, I had to pray to the Lord, Lord, save me from ministry. Save me from church. Because sometimes this ministry and church has become a hindrance in my devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ where I would be thinking more about ministry activities and activities and lose my devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know one thing? No one can realize that. And everyone can look at Stephen David and say, wow, how much he loves the church, how much he is passionate for the ministry, how much he is burdened to really preach and encourage people without knowing that my heart is slowly drifting away from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Whether you are in ministry, all of us are in ministry in some way. No matter you are a young Christian, maybe you are a Christian just a one year old and getting baptized today. And there are here people who are more than 10 years, 15 years. And let me tell you that if you lose your focus from Christ even after 50 years, you can drift away. And that is what we see, the encouragement here. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you one thing. Believing in Christ is one thing. Hear this carefully. Believing in Christ is one thing. Persevering in our faith in Christ till the end is another thing. Do you hear what I said? 
Believing in Christ is one thing and persevering in Christ till the end is another thing. So many can claim and say, I believed in Christ at the first. But very few people will finish the race saying that I have fought the good fight of faith and I have persevered till the end. The only way for us is to look unto Christ. If someone comes and tells you, hey, I have something, a new principle, a new strategy, something new that if you do this, some miracle will happen or you will see great change in your life. I'm telling you, run away from it. There is no better principle than Jesus Christ. There is no better strategy than Jesus Christ. There is no better method than Jesus Christ. There, are, there is no better success than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth and the life. And apart from you constantly focusing on him, you cannot be stable focusing in your Christian life. The second factor that we see here after he mentions, therefore pay careful attention, the calling not to drift away. And then here he comes to a very important thing which is warning against neglecting Christ. Warning against neglecting salvation. People listen to this carefully. Salvation is nothing but Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Remove the focus that salvation means, oh, forgiveness of sins. That is true. But for what is the purpose? Is it the means or the end? Your sins can be forgiven so that you can walk with Christ. Salvation is, oh, I go to heaven. But who stays there in heaven? And why is heaven heaven? It is only because of Jesus. Heaven is not heaven when there is no Jesus. Somebody, I think it was John Piper who said that. How many of you would like to go to heaven and find out that Jesus is not there? Would you like to go to heaven? I think many would like to go to heaven even if Jesus is not there. <laughs> so please remove the essence of salvation is not forgiveness of sins, removing the curse, going to heaven. These are all secondary issues. The essence of salvation is only Jesus Christ and nothing else. As John Piper wrote the book, God is the gospel. <laughs> I love that title. God is the gospel. The gospel is only Jesus Christ. And now we see here that there are some warnings present here. We are living in a generation that we don't like warnings, right? We see a lot of warnings. When I go and walk on the road, I see accident prone area, drive slow. Or speed thrills, but kills. Don't drink and drive. Wear your helmet, safety first. How many of you, when you look at this warning, say that these people are blackmailing? This is a blackmail. This is legalism. Why can't I drive without helmet? This is absolute legalism. This is not what, you know, freedom is. No one will say that. But when Bible warns, they'll say, is God really loving? Or is this what really teaches? This is legalism? And then we try to bring all kinds of accusation without thinking that these warnings are for the good of us. We see here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now the author is using a lower argument to prove a superior argument. 
And what is the lower argument? He says here that, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. What is the message here that the author is speaking, declared by angels, and that it is reliable? It is nothing but the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law, delivered by the angels. Now in the Old Testament, we do not see clearly that the law was given to Moses and to the Israel by angels. There is no explicit scripture. But there are two scriptures in the New Testament says that it is given by angels. For example, we see right after this 53 verse, we see that he was stoned. Because he said this verse. Acts 7.53. Stephen's message to the Jews. Stephen's message to the Jews. And what did he say here? You who received the law as delivered by angels. Do you see that? He says here that you received the law delivered by angels. And what did you do? You were very obedient to it, right? No. He says here... You people received the law received by angels and you did not keep it. Read the verse immediately after that. You know what happened? They killed him. You tell people today, same thing. You will face the same thing, they will kill you. But he says here, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Now you see he says here that the law is given, God has given you the law which was delivered by the angels and second thing he says that you did not keep it. And third thing he says that because you did not keep it, you received just retribution. And the word just retribution is very important for us to understand. And why there is just punishment? There is no unjust, unjust punishment here. When you sin, what we need to understand is that sin is an offense against the holy God. God cannot compromise with sin. And because God is holy and doesn't compromise with sin, sin has consequence. And listen to this. Even in the Old Testament, when you have done out of ignorance, there is consequence for it. Recently, you know, with some of the interns, I was reading the book by Ed Wells, Don't bl uh, Blame It on the Brain. And in that, he brought out a very good scripture, which I have never seen. It says in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 17. Leviticus chapter 5 verse 17. Here this is what it says in the Old Testament. If anyone sins doing any of the things that, the, that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done. Though he did not know it. Do you see that here? Whether you sin intentionally or unintentionally or out of ignorance. The Bible says that if you disobey the Lord... Even if you did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. And if it's, oh my goodness, I didn't know this, and you realize it, still you have to pay penalty for your sin. Because sin is a very dangerous thing. Even, even we also in Hyderabad, right? If you die triple riding, and if you tell that uh, the traffic police catches you and says, Oh, I didn't know that, I, that triple riding is a serious offense. I didn't know. Oh, you don't know? That's okay. No problem. Now you came to know, right? Next time be careful not to repeat it. Will he say that? If you are a citizen of India, you are bound to know the law. You cannot be stupid. You have to know it. Even if you do not know, you still bear the punishment of it. And listen carefully here. When God punishes sin because he is holy, 
the bible says that he executes just retribution just retribution means whatever punishment he gives in our sin that is right we deserve it we cannot say that lord you are unjust lord this is injustice this is unfair you cannot say that you know what you can only do you can only say that lord i deserve this i deserve a lord hell i deserve a lord condemnation i deserve rejection i deserve everything because of my sin and the only thing that i can plead with you is lord have mercy on me have mercy on me have mercy on me and that is exactly what the author says here that since the message given by angels if the lord did not spare people when these people disobeyed the law how much great retribution you will face if you reject grace you know so much today is spoken about grace you know god is gracious god is loving god is compassionate what we don't see in today's grace emphasis you know trend that we see today is that do you understand how dangerous it is to abuse that grace how dangerous it is to neglect that grace and that is exactly what the author says here that how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that came out of grace the same thing is repeated even in hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 again we see the reiteration of what is said in hebrews 2 verse 3 Hebrews 12:25 he says that see that you did not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him you warned them on earth he is comparing to Moses Moses warned them on earth and gave them the law and if they did not escape but face just retribution much less till we will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven he is telling that you think there will be less consequence if you neglect the grace that has come through his son jesus christ he says that the outcome is even more severe and you know the word that is easier he did not use the word reject he used the word what do you know what is the meaning of negligence negligence is not outright rejection we all know that you know what is that it is not intentional outright rejection i don't want christ i say goodbye to the lord jesus christ no that's not what is that is negligence you know what is negligence what is negligence huh carelessness exactly negligence is nothing but carelessness careless in your personal devotions careless in quickly obeying when god speaks to us careless in receiving correction when god corrects us when you are careless you know what happens your heart will be progressively hardened beyond your own recognition and bible says here that be careful don't neglect because the state of negligence is very very hard now some of us reform people will be confused here right because reform people say what god has elected those whom he wants to save and if you believe in the lord jesus christ your salvation is eternally secure then why is this warning why is this warning given armenians will be very happy you see this is a reason we say that it is true now both are very dangerous i'm telling you that 
Reformed theology is not a license to flirt with sin. Doctrines of grace is not a license to really indulge in selfishness. Eternal security, if you believe your salvation is eternally secure, doesn't mean that you can just rest assured without heeding to the warnings of Christ. And that is what we see so many people doing today. They speak anything warning. Oh, God is good, brother. God is gracious. Without repentance. Without making serious efforts. And I'm telling you that God has given warnings in the scripture so that those who are chosen by him will persevere in their faith when they listen to the warnings of the scripture. But the people who are lost and unbelievers and not chosen and not believe, these people will ignore it altogether saying that I don't care what the warnings say about me. But true believers, warnings are very important. I pray, you know, Lord, I don't want to perish in sin. I pray that. Even now I pray that. Lord, I don't want to fall in this sin. I don't want to perish in this sin. Because that is true. If I continually live and indulge in that sin, I will perish. But if I am a truly saved person, I repent and turn from all evil and seek the grace of the living God. There is a tension here that we need to understand and we need to leave the tension. And don't make it very simple. Saying that you can do whatever you want, you can live the way you want and your salvation is eternally secure. But if you are truly saved, you cannot take grace of God and the salvation of God for granted. True believers heed the warning and do not neglect salvation. And they realize their negligence. But false believers ignore the warning and neglect salvation. Kent Hughes gives a very good uh, insight here about the drifting away, which is a very big problem in today's Christianity. He says here that drifting is a besetting sin in our day. And as the metaphor suggests, it is not so much intentional as from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor, Christ, and begin to quietly drift away. There is no friction, no dramatic sense of departure. But when the winds of trouble come, the things of Christ are left far behind, even out of sight. I don't want to repeat it, but the quote is very clear. How dangerously people can drift away, even without you realizing. Now, here is a point. What is the answer to this? When the author is asking here, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What is the answer for that? What is the answer? No escape. That is exactly what he's telling. No escape. You cannot escape from this negligence of salvation and grace. And that is exactly why Paul was telling to the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you understanding? These are very strong words, right? He doesn't say that work for your salvation. He says that work out your salvation. Since you are saved, live a life according to how Christians live. Live a life according to how children of God should live. Live a life by denying yourself and taking up your cross. With fear and trembling. No casual attitude. No negligence. Be serious about your faith. Why? Why? Because if you neglect it, the consequences are terrible beyond that we can bear. You know, 
the beautiful thing when Paul, when, when the author is telling here about the great salvation is that this is exactly what he's pointing out. See, God has given you the law and you have broken the law. And because of that, you deserve condemnation. But as a result, in order to save you from condemnation, from hell, from everlasting fire, God sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sins. He has sent Jesus Christ so that he can satisfy the justice of God, manifest the love of God and save you from that eternal condemnation. Now, if that is the way that God has given for your forgiveness and for your salvation, for your reconciliation, for your deliverance and redemption by offering Jesus Christ, even though you sin against the law. And if you neglect this person, Jesus Christ, how worse your condition will be. Now here is a point that I would like to tell you. Ignoring grace is worse than disobeying the law. Shall we all repeat this together? Ignoring grace is worse than disobeying the law. Imagine people if God did not spare one disobedience in the Garden of Eden. He told them only one commandment. Do not eat the forbidden fruit. And they did not even eat the fruit completely. The Bible says that they ate little. And what is the consequence? My goodness. What is this? Just little bite. Gone. The whole world has been subjected to condemnation. Curse. Just one sin. And that too little sin if you can speak about eating little fruit. And this is a consequence that so much so that Jesus had to come and die and rose again. And offer his life as a living and a dying sacrifice. Which is very strange. Can you imagine how God is serious about holiness? And because of that he gave the grace. And if you neglect this person Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. If you lose your devotion from Jesus, I am the same person who is speaking to you. My words will condemn me on the last day. My same words when I am talking to you. If you lose your devotion to Christ, if you drifting away from Christ as I am pointing to you, ten fingers are unseen to me, are pointing to me and tomorrow they will condemn me. Stephen, do you know that? Remember that on August 7th, you straightforwardly, you showed your finger to the people and said that your consequence will be severe. You need to fight to keep your devotion unto Christ. It is a fight. It is not something that happens automatically as the time passes by. As most of the people say, oh no problem brother, as the time passes by, my heart will be set right. No, your time is not the healer. Situations are not the healer. Repentance. Turning to Christ. Admitting, Lord, have mercy on me. And keep my heart close unto you. It's a fight, people. It's a fight. And there is no excuse for that. And if there are unbelievers here who do not yet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you one thing. The gospel is the good news, certainly. But it is not the good news for all people. The gospel is the good news only for those people who repent and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for their sins and rose from the dead and give their lives to Christ and saying, you are my only hope. It is good news for them. But for those who reject Christ, it is the worst dangerous 
news. And I tell you today, whether you are a child or a grown-up, God is speaking to you. If you keep neglecting him, you don't know when you die. Your consequence will be terrible. You cannot bear a little pain. How do you bear that everlasting fire? And God says here, same thing in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28 to 31. People, listen to this. We need this so that we can keep ourselves close to Christ. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraced the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. Now see the final words that he says here. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a dangerous thing to fall. It is much more dangerous than any other person who exists in the world. Because if God loves us so much, if we neglect him, the consequence will be infinitely terrible as his love is infinite towards us. So believers who are here, I encourage you, don't neglect your devotion to Christ or else you will suffer the flaming darts of the enemy. Return to the Lord and say, the Lord, keep my heart on fire for you. The final factor that I would like to tell is from verse 3 to 4. The first is we see the calling not to drift away. The second we see warning against neglecting salvation. The third is validating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, you see that the interesting thing over here is, again, not suffice with the first chapter, the reasons that he is given. Again, he is giving the reasons, my, you think about this. You think about this. Don't neglect salvation. Do not drift away. Again, think. He gives again three evidences. My goodness, what apologetics do we see here? Given defense after defense, reasons after reasons, convincing people, keep your devotion to the doctrine and the devotion of the Lord Jesus. Now, you see what it says here. It says here that, in Hebrews 2 verse 3 and 4, the message of salvation was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Quickly, let us go through these three things that he gives here. The author lists the validity of the gospel in three ways. What is the first thing? He says that, verse 3, it, what is it here? It speaks about the gospel of salvation. Again, continuing. It was declared at first by the Lord. What the reason that he is giving is that in the Old Testament, the message came through the angels. But now God himself has come down from heaven. He left his glory, come down. And he has given the message of salvation directly from his own mouth. Why do you neglect him? And that is exactly what the author of Hebrews began with, right? It was declared first by the Lord. In the, in the past, how did he speak? He spoke through many prophets. But in the last days, he spoke through his son. He sent his own son. Now these people are not listening to the prophets, my son. You are my son. Now you go. Because if you go, they will turn. The son himself came. And if you reject that very son, we are the most hopeless people. Hopeless people. And that is what we see. Matthew 4, 17. 
The first message that the Lord Jesus began to preach, you know what? The very first words that came out of his mouth is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only through the Son, verse 3 says that, it was also attested to us by those who heard. It was declared first by the Lord. You see how validity we see in the message of salvation. Second is, he says that, it was attested to us by those who heard. Who were those who heard? Apostles, the testimony of the apostles. We see that 1 John 1, 1 to 2. Very beautifully enunciated about what the author of Hebrews is saying here. And I love this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, not John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Hear this, what he says. That which was from the beginning, the Lord Jesus Christ, which we have heard, the Lord Jesus Christ, which we have seen with our eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. The Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. We have seen this person with our eyes. We know him. We touched him. We heard him. We ate with him. We walked with him. We know that gospel of salvation is true. And then you know what he says? We have seen it. We have not seen it. We rely on the testimony of the apostles and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is a testimony. You know what is a beautiful thing that I like in this passage is that they don't say that the author of uh, John is not telling that testify to you and proclaim to you that if you believe in him you will have eternal life. That's not what he says here. You know what he says? Testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. We proclaim you the eternal life. And which was, which means the eternal life was with the Father. And was made manifest to us. People, what is eternal life? Eternal life means we think that eternal life is an endless living. We will be floating in the air. Ooh, ooh, worshipping eternal life and very... Soup and uh, comfortable Christian life. People, eternal life is not endless life. Eternal life is Jesus Christ. If you want eternal life, not Jesus, you have no eternal life. And he says that we have testified. The third thing, he says here that, yes, the Lord himself declared, the apostles testified, and the third reason he gives is in verse 4, while God also bore witness, the word also bore witness, which means as the Lord Jesus was proclaiming, as the apostles were testifying, along with the Lord Jesus and with the apostles, God was witnessing by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now what is interesting is this. There are a few things that I would like to point out from here. And there are very good lessons for us as we live in this present generation. You know, God has spoken through his son. That is through Jesus. You know what, 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 one, what one thing we need to understand is that when it says that it was declared at first by the Lord, it was nothing but God himself spoke through his son. Okay? So we see that God has spoken through his son. God has spoken through the apostles. And God himself has witnessed to what he has spoken by signs and wonders. My goodness. Everything is from him and through him and for him. He is the one who is doing everything. We see that in Acts 2.22. Acts 2.22. The first thing, God has attested his miracles through his son Jesus. The reason is because 
many people don't interpret the scripture properly and today they think that when you preach the gospel the pattern should be signs and wonders should happen that is not what the scripture says it says in acts 222 listen men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested to you by god you see that god validated you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that god did through him in your midst as you yourselves know now hear this carefully why did god do signs wonders and miracles according to the scripture why to prove that jesus is the son of god it is not to prove that you have the gift of healing it is not to prove that people should experience healing it is to prove and glorify his son the same thing we see in 2 corinthians 12 12 the signs of a true apostles were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works what is the validation for a person to be an apostle according to 2 corinthians 12 12 what is that miracles should be happening it is to validate the apostles why god validated the apostles because they were the first inheritance of testifiers of the message of the salvation it is through their testimony that the bible has come and god has testified to what they were proclaiming with signs and wonders that these people are endorsed by me and what the message they are proclaiming is true you can depend on them god has done signs and wonders through christ and apostles to establish the truthfulness of the gospel and given in the holy spirit right now here is a very important thing that we see today i get so angry when i look at all the gimmicks that are going on in the name of science and wonders movement and hear the testimony all those notorious guys who give testimonies and all you know what you don't hear this the ultimate purpose of science and wonders and miracles and supernatural gifts is to point people to the supremacy of christ revealed in the gospel it is to exalt jesus christ not the miracle worker it is to exalt jesus christ not the experience of people that he is the one who is the reason behind all these things it is to testify to the gospel and what is the gospel to the gospel that jesus christ died for our sins and rose from the dead and to believe that this is the evidence we see that god has performed signs and wonders do you want more evidence of it see john chapter 20 verse 30 to 31 john chapter 20 verse 30 to 31 it says here now jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book now here but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you have life in his name why the bible has written signs and wonders why john is telling here there are many more signs but these are the simple things that we have written why so that you can believe so that you can by believing have the eternal life that is one reason why so many miracles doesn't happen after you become a believer honestly we pray very rarely we see that why because the whole purpose is to bring you to christ once you brought to christ instant healing miracles and all these things we don't see much you know where do you see them happening more even today 
You know, where do you see? In the tribal area, in the gospel where it is not reached, their dead are raising people, <laughs> and people are seeing, people, miracles are happening, but in, among the believers where people are, you know, uh, believing and doing that, we don't see much, but fake miracles are many more actually. You meet Ajay, he will tell you how fake miracles can happen in the public meetings. You know, there is a very good point that I would like to bring before I close. Gareth Lee Cockrell is a very, very good professor of biblical interpretation of theology. He gives a very balanced thing here. He says that the author of Hebrews makes no attempt to duplicate these events, but bases his argument on their past occurrence as confirmation of the apostolic testimony. Hear this carefully. He's telling that the author is not telling that God has bore witness to the message proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the apostles, and bore witness by signs and wonders, not to duplicate these events. That means if you do today, these things will happen. That is not the reason that he's telling that. But at the same time, he gives a very good caution that thus, he gives no encouragement either to those who seek to replicate such signs or to those who would preclude God's provi providing such confirmation in the present. So what he's telling is also is that he's not encouraging to seek those things, duplicate those things. At the same time, he's telling God is not doing it now. He's not telling that. God may do even now in his sovereign will. We don't know. We pray. I pray actually that God would do healings and miracles and we should... We want to see that happening. But that is only left to his sovereign will. But you cannot take the scriptures and falsely interpret and say that these things should be happening now because this is a pattern we see in the New Testament. That is absolutely wrong. You can plead for his sovereign grace, but you cannot demand and interpret it as a pattern of the New Testament. So finally, in summary, there are three great reasons, he says, why we must not drift away from Christ. And we should not neglect God's great salvation. What are the three great reasons? In verse 1 he says, Therefore, pay careful attention to what you have heard, which is, focus on the supremacy of Christ. Second, he says, If you understand that what great retribution these people who neglected the law faced, how much more you will face in the grace, which means he is reminding them of God's great judgment. And third, he is giving, in verse 4, God's validation of the gospel. He's telling, how much more do you need? Isn't this enough? How Christ is supreme, the judgment is real, wonders have happened, recorded in the scripture. What else do you need? I want to close with this self-introspection questions. And if it is possible, it's a short book, brothers and sisters, please get it. And you know what? Donald Whitney wrote a book. Ten questions to diagnose your spiritual health. Ten questions to diagnose your spiritual health. And now hear these questions and examine yourself whether you are drifting or striving forward. I'm just reading it, but if you want the explanation of it, read the book. Ten questions to diagnose your spiritual health by Donald Whitney. He is a professor of spiritual theology in Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The first question, do you thirst for God? Do you thirst for God? Second, are you governed increasingly by God's word? Third, are you more loving? Fourth, are you more sensitive to God's presence? Fifth, do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Sixth, do you delight in the bride of Christ, which is the church? Is church your delight? Seventh, 
Are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Eighth, do you still grieve over sin? Ninth, are you a quick forgiver, forgiving people? Tenth, do you long for heaven and to be with Jesus? Solid questions. I think all of us in one way or the other, we will have these questions in sermon discussion. You can examine your life and see whether your heart is really striving forward. Shall we all rise to our feet and pray together? Understand that it is a fight to keep your devotion unto Christ. And let us pray at this time. Lord, as David prayed, examine my heart. Maybe you are sound in doctrine. Solid. Great. Praise God. But what about devotional life? I don't say just about personal devotion, but all these ten questions. And let us say to God and examine ourselves and say, Lord, please do examine my heart. Do I long for Jesus? Do I thirst for Jesus? Do I long for his presence? Do I long to go to heaven? Not because I'm escaping from these present miseries of the world, but because Jesus is in bodily form in heaven and I want to see him. Don't stand thinking that you are right. Examine yourself. You don't have to open your mouth and speak, but in your heart you talk to God. Are your hearts drifting away from the Lord Jesus Christ? And if it is, let us repent and pay careful attention to what we have heard. Pay careful attention to what we have heard. Heavenly Father, what shall we say as we stand before you? You know us in and out. There is nothing hidden from you. You don't look for profession. You don't look for external appearance. You look into the heart and see who we are. And we confess, O oh Lord, what we are on the outside and show to others is not what we are on the inside. And we pray, O oh Lord, this morning, as you know each person's heart here, nothing is hidden from you. Pray that you please do reveal in what areas we are drifting from you. And keep us back to Jesus. Because he is the only reason why we were created for. He is the only reason why we were saved. And he is the only reason why we will live eternally. He is the meaning, purpose, and everything in our lives. Lord, we are living in this world every day. So many temptations, O oh Lord. False teachings, suffering, pleasures. So many hard situations even comfortable situations that can lead us away from you. And we plead with you, Lord, this morning, please to keep our hearts close to you. Keep us, O Lord. You are our only hope, O Lord. Apart from you, we have no hope. Keep us away from drifting. Keep us away from neglecting. Help us to focus and run with endurance the race before us and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of faith. May we not focus on people. May we not focus on situations. May we not focus on ourselves. 
Lord, we are not the hope. Others are not the hope. Jesus is the only anchor for our soul. He is the only mooring to which if we cling to, we will be persevering till the end or else life has no certainty in this world. Help us to focus on Christ. And thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you did not leave us when we disobeyed the law, but sent your son Jesus to die for us and you raised him from the dead so that through him we would receive the gift of eternal life, which is nothing but the Lord Jesus himself. Help us, help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. May our thoughts, hearts, passion, everything be devoted to you, despite temptations and suffering that we go through, because you are the reason why we are existing. Oh Lord, help us not to lose our eyes from you. Never, ever, but always keep our eyes upon you. Have mercy on us and lead us and preserve us till the end. Give us your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.